Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. My name is Brad. For those of you who might not know me, one of the pastors here at Connect. And uh, looking forward to continuing to be in God's presence with you this morning. If you would like for your kids to go and watch the DVD, this is you're welcome to take them now um, in the den. That's the room on your right as you walked in this morning. So we're going to be continuing in the series that we've been in for quite some time uh, in the book of John in John's Gospel, and we're going to talk this morning about the comfort that is available to us as believers in Christ. But uh, before we do that, I want to remind you of the heart behind John's Gospel. John wrote his Gospel that you would know who Jesus is, that you would believe that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing, you would find life in his name. That's what John desired for us as he wrote his gospel. And so we're going, to, we're going to see some of that come through again as we look in this chapter in John, John chapter 14. But I, I want to begin by, by asking a few questions, and uh, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if this applies to you. And I want you to keep that hand in the air. Don't, don't take it down right, until I give you permission, which won't be too long. I promise you'll make it. All right. But I want to ask you, as you're here this morning, and I want to say good morning, by the way, to everyone who's joining us online. Wonderful to have you with us. You can raise your hand as well, but you might be the only one in the room doing that. Right, but could you, have you ever been through a time in your life, at some point, that has just been incredibly difficult? Like, you, you went through a, re, a really tough time. All right. Yeah. If you are online, you may be able to see some of the hands. Right, there are a lot of hands up this morning. Are there any of you who might be in the middle of such a time right now? You guys, we can keep our hands up, man. All right, maybe some of you are really struggling right now. Now, what, you have permission to take your hand down if during that time that is really hard, whether that's right now or has been in the past, you, you never felt any of these emotions in that time. You never felt lost or confused or guilty, or angry, or depressed, or hopeless, or despairing. Anyone, anyone want to take your hand down? Okay, you can take them down now. Friends, that, life is hard. Life is often difficult and painful. And some of you might be in a very difficult space, right, even as we're here together this morning. Joy spoke this morning in the 8 o'clock service of how she would normally wake up and from her bedroom she can see out of a window and see the Constantinburg Mountains behind her. And she, how that was beautiful and significant for her in her quiet time. But she woke up yesterday and in the pouring rain the clouds were so thick and so low that the mountain was obscured. And sometimes it feels like that for us. Sometimes it just feels... Like, we, we know the mountain is there, but you just can't see through the storm that is between you and the mountain. Well, if you know what that feels like, or you're in that place right now, Jesus wants to speak to you this morning. Because that was the space his disciples found themselves in as we read John chapter 14. So I'm going to set the scene for us a little bit, and then we'll dig a little bit deeper. But in the first 12 chapters of John's gospel, we get most of the story of Jesus' life and ministry. And, and then we get to John chapter 13, and in John chapter 13, Jesus sits down with his disciples, and they have their last dinner together before Jesus goes to the cross. And we call that the Last Supper. And halfway through that meal, there's this really awkward moment where Judas is asked to leave. And no one quite knows what's going on, but Judas gets up and he leaves and that begins for us what's called the farewell discourse in John's gospel. 
and it runs from John chapter 13, verse 31, to the end of chapter 17 of John. And it's one of the largest blocks of virtually uninterrupted teaching that Jesus gives, apart from a few questions that get asked every now and again by his disciples who don't understand. And at the beginning of this discourse, Jesus sits down with his disciples and he breaks the news to them that he is about to leave. He is going to go somewhere and they're not going to be able to follow him. And that really throws their world into turmoil. Because for three years, their whole world has revolved around Jesus. Where Jesus went, they went. Where Jesus spoke, they listened. When Jesus told them to do something, they did it. He was their mentor. He was their teacher. For many of them, he was probably acting in the role of like a surrogate father, a person to whom they looked for for wisdom and guidance in all that they did in life. And in addition to all of that, he's also their Messiah. He's the hope for their people to redeem them from this Roman oppression that they live under. They have so much tied up in Jesus. All of their eggs are in that one basket. There is no other Messiah. There's no other guy who's going to come and bring life and truth and wisdom. It's all Jesus. And then Jesus tells them this basket that you've got all your stuff tied up in is about to go. And it throws their whole world into turmoil. And then, in addition to that, he doesn't just leave it there. He also says, guys, I'm going to go, but all of you, by the way, my, my 11 closest friends, you're all about to fail really badly. Right? There's going to be a trial that's going to come up, and, and all of you are going to fail terribly. And Peter says, Lord, I, I mean, I'll never leave you. I will, ne- I will die with you if I have to. And Jesus says, Pete, mate, before the night is up, you're going to deny three times that you even know who I am. So now, now they're, really, they're really uncomfortable. They're really confused. They're lost. They're, and, and then Judas is sent out. And so now this intimate group of friends are sitting around, and Jesus says, and one of you is going to betray me to death. Can you imagine that happened in your group of friends? He was sitting. I mean, how awkward does that make the moment? These guys, are, they're really battling. Everything that they had thought they knew and understood and was held together is, is just been thrown into major turmoil. And so Jesus begins to speak to them and begins to, to give them some handles and some guidance for the season that they're about to endure. And I, and I want to just note this because it's, just, it's so beautiful to think about. If you, if you look in John's Gospel twice, in John chapter 12 and in John chapter 13, Jesus gives us an insight into how he's feeling. And it says he was deeply disturbed in his spirit. He was deeply grieved within him. He's preparing for the most intense experience he's ever going to have to experience. He is about to go through the darkest time of his own life, and yet his concern is so totally for his disciples and what they're about to endure. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of the Savior that we have. Let's read John chapter 14. We're going to read the whole chapter together, and then afterwards I'm going to focus in on two ideas, and we're going to draw those out of the chapter, and we're going to come back as they run through it. John chapter 14. Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How is it possible that we can know the way? 
And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these they will do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. But now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. That's John chapter 14, and there's, there's an awful lot in John chapter 14. This is one of many times in the series that I grieve the fact that I must try and give you a, a whole chapter into one message. But we're going we're gonna to try and do that this morning. And in order to do that, we're going to stick with what I think are the two biggest themes that land in John chapter 14. And, and they come out of the first statement that Jesus makes to his disciples in verse 1 of John chapter 14, which if those of you who remember studying, remember a thesis statement, a statement that you make that's, that's going to set the point that you're going to try and prove. Jesus makes that in John 14, verse 1. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
The first thing that Jesus wants to do with his disciples in the space that they're in is he wants to comfort them. He doesn't want them to be anxious and to be worried and to, be, to experience trouble. And so he calls them and he says to them, I, I want you to be at peace. And that he lets them know that comfort, that peace is found through faith or belief in God and also in him. And that's, that's where the second part of the theme we're going to see developed this morning is going to come from. Jesus introduces in this first verse, and he's going to go on to unpack it in the rest of the chapter, the nature of the relationship that he shares with the Father. And I believe, I don't, I don't have another scholar who, who said this, but I believe John 14 contains some of the strongest Christological language in John's Gospel. In other words, it's one of the, the greatest places to go and see how Jesus understands himself in light of his divinity. And so we're going to see that in this chapter, Jesus will describe his relationship with the Father in terms that can only imply an equality with God. And it's because of that equality that his disciples can actually find a genuine hope and genuine comfort in their time of distress. Because Jesus is not just a godly guy. He's not just a good oak who was walking down the road and said some cool stuff. He is Jehovah himself. And his words declare reality. And they are able to be trusted in any and every circumstance. So let's jump in together and let's look at the comfort that Jesus wants to bring to his disciples and to us. Whatever you might be in this morning. And then we'll look a little bit more briefly at the statements Jesus makes about himself towards the end. Let's talk with the comfort we have in Christ. And throughout this conversation with his disciples, Jesus, he continues to reassure them in various ways. In the midst of their grief, in the midst of their wrestle and their struggle, that their hearts would not be troubled. So let's, let's look at that together. And whatever you might be facing this morning, it's my prayer that as we consider how Jesus comforted his disciples, you will see how those promises are still available for you today, right now, wherever you might be and that you can find comfort in Christ as well. So the first thing that I think brings us significant comfort that's meant to bring the disciples comfort is that what they're about to go through, Jesus already knows about. So Jesus knows, right? And this is, this is what he begins to do, and he does this three or four times in John chapter 14, but he points them back to things that he has already told them. So in verses 2, 25, 28, I think also even in 29, he points them back to things that he said to them. He said, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I've told you this because I know what's coming. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. I've spoken to you ahead of time. You heard me say, I'm going away and I will come back. Verse 28. See, Jesus says these things not because he wants to, in some kind of weird way, to do it like an I told you so with the disciples. But rather he wants to remind them that what is about to happen is in no way unexpected or unplanned within the knowledge of God. See, they, they might be panicking. They might be lost. They might be confused. They might be afraid. But Jesus is not. He knows what the Father has called him to. He knows what is about to happen and what must happen. And it is going to happen. He knows that it's going to happen to accomplish the purposes of the Father, which in this case was the saving of many lives. Jesus knew that. And so for us, when we struggle in the midst of whatever we're in, there is the same assurance we can find. God is able to see a much bigger picture. 
He's able to see beyond the pain and the hardship and the heartache of the moment. And that moment might be really long. It might be really prolonged. The cloud that's between you and the mountain may take a very, very long time to get through. I think back to Abraham and the promise God gave him that he would have a son. And then he waited 25 years for that to happen. We read that in, within a minute or two of the promise being given and the son coming. Abraham lived it for 25 years of waiting for the deliverance of God and the promise to come through. And for 25 years, his heart grappled and wrestled and the heartache was deep and real. You might be in the midst of a long season and period. But God knows where the mountain is. He knows what's on the other side of the storm cloud. And he is working in whatever situation you might be in for your good. Even if you can't see it at the moment. Paul tells us quite clearly, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. You might not see it right now, and that might sound callous and and crass, but it is the promise of God that even if you can't see it, God is working. He's working in your heart and in your life. And he's working perhaps in the background and behind the scenes and the lives of others in order to open up something for you. But he is working. Second thing Jesus does with his disciples is he says, there is a future hope. There is a future hope. And it's grounded in this perspective that he has. He says, though I am about to die, he says to his disciples, there is a life beyond this one, and I'm going to go there, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to bring you to be with me where I am. All right, verses 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That where Jesus is now, you may be also. Friends, this is the quintessential Christian hope. It is our trump card and it is our fail-safe. It is the hope upon which we stand and it could have a message all by itself. Just this morning I was chatting with some of the people who were at the 8 and we were talking about some people who had become Muslim. And in the Islamic faith there is no certainty of hope. There is no guarantee that one day you will get to go to a place where Jehovah is. You just do your very best to live as good a life as you possibly can. And you hope that one day you stand before the judge and he thinks, okay, maybe you passed, maybe you didn't. Friends, we have a hope. We have a hope that is so perfect and pure because Jesus has promised it. And because he has done everything that we need to receive it. It's amazing. We could spend a whole sermon talking about that hope. But Jesus has promised it here. And he has made it an indisputable fact that for those who are his disciples, he will come back and take us to be with him where he is. This is a promise that our world likes to appropriate because at the moment of death, it has a lot of comfort in it. But we are called to live with this perspective that the life we have now is not going to be the life we're going to have forever. And that whatever deliverance we might trust God for, and you might, you might experience that. You might not. There might be a hardship that you are going to endure for the whole of your days. But God, or God may bring deliverance. But this life will never be good enough to compare to the one that is to come. 
This life will always pale in comparison. There will always be more problems and something wrong that we have now that we won't have then. And so we, called, we can live and we can endure what we must. And sometimes that can be really big. We can be living and enduring something really, really difficult and hard. But there is a time where that will no longer be the case. There is a time when we will live with Him in glory. There is a time when this earth and the current heavens will be swept away and a new heavens and a new earth will exist. And there will be no more tears and there will be no more heartache and there will be no more pain and there will be no more sin and we will live with God and He will be our God and we will be His people. Friends, that is our hope. And that is what Jesus promises His disciples. Right now, you, can, you might feel the midst of the pain and the struggle and the heartache there will be a time where those things will cease. And then he says to them, and and I promise you this, you know how to get there. You know how to get there. You might not know what that place is going to look like. We don't have the perfect and clearest picture of heaven. We know some things about it. But we know how to get there. We have the map. And this is perhaps one of Jesus' most famous statements it is the penultimate I am statement in John's gospel. So you might remember as we've spoken about John's gospel seven times in John's gospel, Jesus makes a statement about who himself. And he says, I am, and then he says something, the bread of life. Or I am the resurrection and the life. Now he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this later in the second half. But even though the destination is unknown, even though the road ahead is going to be marked with pain and suffering, even though the disciples are confused and heartbroken and tired and weary, Jesus is the map for their lives. They have lived with him for three years, and in that time he has modeled for them how to live for God, and he has taught them to become fishers of men. And now, even though he will no longer be with them, he has not left them ill-equipped to be unable to continue the journey without him. And if they continue to believe in him and follow the pattern of life that he has laid down for them, they will walk in the way, which is Jesus. And they will be able to join Jesus in the new life that he has. And for us, the encouragement is similar. Even in the great uncertainty that life can present and the trials and the challenges that we will endure, Jesus has not left us without a map. He himself is the map. Even in the midst of our struggle, we can keep believing in him. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We can keep following the pattern of life that he has set for us. And we can know that as we do, even if all else is confusing and unclear and we're not sure about the decisions that we're making and the things that are happening to us, we will reach a future destination where eventually those struggles will cease and those heartaches and hardships will be over. Jesus is the way. And then Jesus says to his disciples, but guys, I want you to know You don't have to walk that road without help. So having cast their eyes forward so that they would live in light of eternity, Jesus then says to them that you don't need to do it alone. I think this is one of the most beautiful promises that we get to live with in the Christian faith. I I love it. I love that I'm not the final authority in my life. I love that no matter what I might be going through, it's not only my wisdom that needs to get me through it. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, 
to be with you forever. The help of the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Here Jesus promises his disciples the Holy Spirit. But don't you love the words that he uses? Don't you love how he calls the Holy Spirit another helper? Who was the first helper? He's showing them, I I was the first helper. I've been the guy that you've been walking with and living with and journeying with for three years. And I'm going to go, but I'm going to send you another who is just like me to help you. In the same way that I've led you and instructed you and counseled you and consoled you, now the Spirit is going to come to encourage and to strengthen you and to guide you and to lead you in truth and to bring to remembrance for you all the things that I've already told you. Friends, next to the promise of eternity, the Holy Spirit is the greatest blessing that we as Christians have. It's the same for the disciples as it is for us. And as the disciples struggle with their loss, as they prepare to rebuild their world that has been centered around Jesus who's about to be gone, they prepare to forge for themselves some kind of new normal to make it through a world that no longer has Jesus in it. Jesus can say to them, you will not be alone. In fact, you will never be alone. And then he, he builds this and he says, not only, not only will you not be alone, but there is going to be a deeper intimacy that you will soon know with the Holy Spirit. An intimacy that, it, that is, friends, it's now ours. The disciples had to live through this transition. They got to go on mission trips and they sent out by Jesus and they saw the Spirit at work through the ministry that they were doing, but the Spirit was with them and Jesus says, now it will be in you. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you, verse 17. And in the midst of our deepest trauma, in the midst of our deepest challenge, I think it's these words that offer the most hope. As God's children, we are never left to struggle alone. Our God will never abandon us. He is always there strengthening us, encouraging us, guiding us, teaching us. And when we are lost and we just cannot see the way forward, He's the one who's there to take us by the hand and to draw us gently forward. Rick shared with us in worship a little bit of one of my favorite psalms that I think so beautifully outlines the role of the Holy Spirit in this context for us. Psalm 23. Jesus says, the Lord, Jesus, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not fear evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff are there to comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful promise for us to live by. Even in the most difficult of places, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even where we are surrounded by enemies on all sides, and it just feels like it never stops. 
This is the promise of Jesus for us that is fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. And you think that would be enough. You think that would be enough to kind of get them through the season that's there. But Jesus is not even done. So there's two other things that, that we, could, we can look at. And I want to look at them briefly because, you know, there's, there's a lot. But then he does this. He just wants to build on this. In case you haven't been, there isn't enough for you in Christ yet. Jesus says, he says, the Father and the Son will both love us and they will make their home in us. This is 23 and 21, other way around. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. I will show myself to him. And if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that amazing? When we love Jesus... You are, in point of fact, by nature of being in that relationship with Jesus, you are loved by God, by the Father, and by the Son. And they will come and make their home in you. They will come to reside in you, to dwell in you, to abide in you, to remain in you. That is the promise. I mean, this is is just incredible, that the author of all things, the creator of heaven and earth, who spoke and brought the universe into being, would choose to care so intimately for you and for me. And not just to care for us, but to come and to dwell and abide and reside and rest in us. That wherever we are, the triune God is there too. I mean, I think I, I I could stop Right now, we could pause and we could just meditate on that idea for the rest of the morning and we would not even begin to comprehend the fullness of that. It's beautiful. But Jesus wants to give us more. Not only do you have the presence of the full triune God with you, but then he actively imparts and releases his peace to his disciples. And this wonderful promise in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This promise of Jesus, it's the physical impartation of the shalom peace of God. You remember in the book of Revelation where we have the picture of the Father sitting on the throne in heaven. And there's lightning flashing and there's thunder roaring. And the throne sits on a sea of glass. Because it is calm in the presence of God. The sea is still. In the midst of the chaos... The presence of God brings shalom. This is not an empty promise. It's not a, it's not a hollow platitude. It's not like someone said, you know, I hope you have a wonderful day. There's no power in those words. It's the impartation of the peace that God carries in his own presence into the lives of his disciples. It's a peace that changes our emotions and brings peace and tranquility. Remember Philippians chapter 4? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and then what happens? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will cover your heart and mind in Christ Jesus because the King is there, because the King is with you. We can ask Jesus freely to receive that. If you are here this morning and you are struggling and you just need to be comforted by the Lord, you can receive his peace. Jesus has made sure that no matter what you might be enduring, he is there for you, and he has not abandoned you, and he will never leave you. 
that He has gone and He is preparing a hope for you and a future for you. And He is working in whatever you might be in right now. And He is using it for your good, for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And you can trust Him. You can trust these promises because they are not just the words of a guy, but they are the words of God Himself. So as I bring this message towards its end, I, I want to draw your attention to some of the ways in which Jesus highlights his identity in John chapter 14. Because, A, there are many who would deny the deity of Jesus, would say Jesus doesn't claim it clearly enough, he must not be God. Because when God guarantees something, there is way more power in the guarantee of God than there is in the word of anyone else. So each of these promises and these, well, each of these ideas that we're going to look at now about why Jesus presents himself as God is there so that you can find comfort in Jesus' words because they are the words of God himself. So we're going to look at three categories of statement. We're going to look at how the Father and Son work together. We're going to look at how Jesus acts as the gatekeeper to the Father. And we're going to see how Jesus presents himself as the exact representation of the Father. And as we look at these different statements, I want you to imagine an analogous situation to where the disciples are. Picture yourself sitting around a dinner table with 11 close friends, and picture one of your friends making these different statements. And ask yourself how you would feel about your friend after he said them, or she. All right, so let's look at the father and son working together. Verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? It's the Father's house. It's God's house. But Jesus presumes to go and prepare the rooms. Who else would have the freedom to allocate and prepare the eternal residences of all humanity? If my friend said that to me, I'd be like, you need to stop smoking whatever it is you're smoking because you're just a bit out there. Verse 16 and 26. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus can confidently assert that what he asks the fa- when he asks the Father to do something, the Father will absolutely do it. This isn't a faith statement. This is not, guys, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to trust that God is going to do A, B, or C in your life. This is, I will say it, the Father will do it. 100% guarantee. That's what Jesus is able to say. Verses 21 and 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Can anyone else promise that the results of you loving them will be that they will receive the love of God Almighty? Can you imagine saying that to one of your friends? Hey guys, look, if you just love me, the father will love you, guaranteed. It's just... No one else can make that statement. And notice how then the Father and the Son, they act in unity together, and they say, Jesus says, we will come, and we will dwell with you, we will live with you. And that claim in and of itself can only be fulfilled by the Spirit. As a person constrained to a human body, I can't go and live in you. It is not possible. You have your own body, which I cannot penetrate. But Jesus is able to say, I will come, and make my home with you. I will be with you and in you because I am more than just a human. Verse 24. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
Jesus is able to claim an equality between the words that he speaks and the words of the Father. Friends, I wish I could say to you this morning that everything I say to you comes straight from the Father and my words are the same as the Father's words. And Jesus, I pray that you would help me to have less of me and more of you every time. But only Jesus is able to say that everything I say is what the Father says to you. He is asserting his words are directly authored by the King of Heaven. So that's part one. Jesus shows how he works alongside the Father as an equal. Let's look at part two. And Jesus as the gatekeeper to the Father. This claim is really only made in verse six, but it is so strong that we need to consider it just by itself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus describes himself in clearly exclusive terms. He is the only way. Unlike what our friend Carl said when he met with Oprah, that Jesus is a signpost. Jesus is not a signpost. Jesus is the only way to God. He himself is the truth. He himself is the life. And he himself is the only one who is able to give anyone access to the Father. He alone acts as the arbiter. There is no other way to access God except through Jesus. No other person is able to, no one is able to reach the Father except to go through the Son. No other person is able to remove the barrier of sin that prevents any person from entering into the presence of the Holy except Jesus. He is the only way. And He Himself is truth and life. No other man ever could do that or ever has done that. And then Jesus has one other category of things that he says about himself and the Father. In case you haven't been convinced enough by what he said yet. And, and he shows the exact representation between himself and the Father. He does this four times in chapter 14. And we'll look at it in two pairs. So verses 7 and 9. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you do know him and have seen him. And whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I wish I could say that. I wish I could come to you and say, hey guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's perfectly reflected in me. Only Jesus can say that. To know Jesus is to know the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. They are statements of equivalency. The one is as the other. They are interchangeable for one another. They are so alike in essence and in nature that there is no difference in nature between them. They are different people. I don't want to confuse you. But they are so alike in essence and nature that there is no difference in their nature. To see one is to see the other. To know one is to know the other. This is a claim of the highest order. No other person can make that claim. Verses 10, 11, and then 20. Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves, on account of the miracles and the signs that I performed. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Not only are Jesus and the Father identical in essence and nature, but they coexist flawlessly within one another. And then Jesus hints at one of the most amazing promises in the whole of Scripture. I I love this, and we touched on this earlier. It says, in that day, in other words, after I've risen from the dead, he will be in us with the Father. Jesus and the Father will be in us. And, uh, 
We can't spend more time on that now. We'll leave that for another day. In two weeks' time, James will take us through John chapter 17, and Jesus will say this again in more detail, and we'll pick it up there. These are some of the strongest claims that Jesus makes to his deity. And he makes them in this context because it is his identity as God that guarantees the promises of comfort that he gives to a group of disciples who are reeling and struggling in the midst of their own challenge and pain. So we're going to wrap up this morning. And If you're sitting here and you are in the middle of your own struggle and there is deep challenge and there is deep heartache and there is pain and confusion and you just don't know, these same promises are available for you in Jesus. Jesus knows the beginning from the end. He has never been taken by surprise, even if you have been. He has prepared for you an eternal hope that will far outstrip whatever pain you might be enduring right now. He has not left you without himself, but he has sent the Holy Spirit to be your aid and your helper. He and the Father have come and made their home in you, and they will never leave you, and they will never forsake you, and they will actively love you. And Jesus' peace is able to be actively imparted into your life as you ask him. Friends, these promises can be trusted because they aren't the words of a man. They are the words of God himself. And in him there is not change nor shifting shadow. And if you're not struggling right now, know that there won't be a time where you might be. It's distinctly probable. And I hope that you will hold on to the comfort that you find in Jesus. Or you might be able to come alongside someone who is. And you can help them find the comfort that exists in Christ. So let's close in prayer. I'll ask Trev and Shirley and the team to come up and they're going to lead us in a song. But I want to pray for us and I want to say to you that as after we've finished in a time of worship, if you want to remain and you want someone to minister with you and just ask God to release his grace and his peace and his comfort in your life because right now the struggle is real, we are so willing to do that with you. And we would love to pray with you. So please feel free to stay with us after that. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans. You are not a God who is far away. You are not a God who is not acquainted with our suffering and our pain. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You have chosen to make your home in us. That wherever we are, you are with us. You have chosen to love us deeply and intimately in a way that we can't even comprehend. You are able to to strengthen us and to help us in the midst of whatever deep challenge and wrestle we might be enduring. And I thank you so much, God. Thank you for the comfort that is ours as sons and daughters of the King. And we pray right now, we pray for anyone who is here this morning whose hearts are heavy, and for who this challenge is real and the heartache is real and the pain is deep. And we ask, Holy Spirit of God, won't you release the peace of God over your children? 
Won't you come and comfort those who are struggling? Won't you remind them that they have a hope and a future in you? And whatever it is that is so big right now, there is life beyond that. You are not a God who is divorced. You are not a God who is far away. You are a God who is working in the midst. You are a God who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And in whom we can celebrate. In whom we can declare that our cup overflows because you are with us. He has promised us that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We bless you, God. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for the comfort that is ours in Christ. Thank you that you are our God and our King and that you love us all so deeply and so intimately. In Jesus' name.